millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Full Throttle, the bikes podcast from Eurosports. This edition for Wednesday, the 22nd of May, 2019. I'm Greg Haynes. This may well be a bikes racing podcast, but it would be, quite frankly, wrong of me to start this edition without a mention of, I'm afraid to use the word, the late Nicky Lauda, the three-time Formula One world champion of 1975, 1977 and 1984. Two of those titles, of course, with Ferrari, the final one following his comeback to racing with McLaren. The Austrian passed away on Monday this week following a long illness And really, you don't need me to tell you the effect that has had on the motor racing community. All of the news outlets over the last couple of days have been about Nicky Lauda, even those that don't even tend to follow Formula One or motor racing. What a star we have lost. And of course, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of the social networks have been absolutely saturated with Nicky Lauda tributes so far this week and I'm sure there are more to come so first of all here on full throttle from all of us at Eurosport the whole bikes team and everybody back in Feltham our production office the fondest of regards and best wishes with the friends families colleagues of Nicky Lauder and of course everybody who supported the Austrian worldwide the name a massive one in sport in general that's Nicky Lauder the three-time F1 world champion who passed away on Monday. As for full throttle this week, then we will kickstart with Tommy Bridewell, a man who is always refreshing to talk to in his honesty and, in my opinion, common sense opinions when it comes to motorcycle racing and life in general. Of course, Tommy was at Imola in Italy for the latest World Superbike round a couple of weeks ago and scored points in his first race. He didn't score in the second, or he was inside the top 15, but of course the sprint race you don't score points for unless you're in the top nine. But even so, substituting for Eugene Laverty, he did an absolutely stunning job. We will have an update from Eugene Laverty himself on his latest after breaking both wrists in an Aqua Minerali crash. He's at the end of today's show. But first of all, then we kickstart proceedings with Tommy Bridewell. 
He's not just done so well, of course, in World Superbikes on that Imola outing, but he's also co-leading the British Superbike Championship with Taron McKenzie. So the Oxford Products rider is on the line right now. I caught up with him earlier today. And Tommy joins us now on his hands-free kit on the road. Tommy, first of all, what a fantastic job. It's a shame you didn't get the third race, the second race of Sunday, because of the horrible rain we had in Italy. But even so, you must be overcome with emotion. It was a pretty incredible weekend. Yeah, but definitely to, to get the call out to Imola um, for World Superbikes was a big sort of um, yeah, it was just good really, quite cool. It was, if I'm honest, it was initially I thought, ah, it's just it's just not going to be doable, like you know, to get a fly, got to get some bags packed. I was in Bristol at the time, I had to get home. Um, but luckily for me, with with my wife and uh, you know some sponsors of mine in in on the phone saying, please just make it happen, get some uh, get some flights booked and so on. Um, we got there. So, yeah, I, I, I have said it previously that, i got to be honest, I do thrive off of um, that kind of thing. Uh, I think, to be honest, a lot of riders would have been like, oh, no, let's not bother this weekend. Let's just start from her F when I've got FP1, FP2, FP3 kind of thing, where I just, always think, well, look, you can only do what you can do if, as long as I show the team and the people around that I gave 110%, then whether that's uh, winning or whether that's coming wherever, um, you can only put in the maximum with the track timing, uh, you know, resources you have. So, yeah, that, that aside, it was it was great to do that. Um, great to ride Imola. What a circuit as well uh, on a superbike, just mind-blowing. Um, yeah, and like I say, a little bit of a shame that we didn't get the third race uh, on the Sunday uh, afternoon, but we can't, we can't control the weather, so um, it was out of our hands, really. I've got to ask, actually, while we're talking about that, what was your take on the whole situation? Because there was a lot of talk afterwards as to whether the riders should be involved in a decision like that. Did it take too long to make the decision? Should they have changed the plan before, knowing the weather was going to be bad on the Sunday, which, of course, it was? What's your take on that whole situation? Well, to be honest, it's a tricky one because, ultimately, yeah, like you say, it looked, we, everyone knew the weather was coming, um, so I think we were all very lucky to get even the sprint race, I must be honest, because I thought it was going to be a wake-up job, no racing kind of thing. Um, but there was a very, very small window that you could have ran the race in the wet. But the problem is with with not criticising World Superbike in any way, shape or form, but with the protocol these organisations have to go through by the safety checks, then they have to wait, then they have to get the track blowers out, then they have to call every person. So by the time they had finished talking about it for an hour, that was that window. That that window, we should have had a shorter race distance and just said, right, track safe, get on the grid, let's get on sort of thing. But the problem is, is by the time they take X amount of riders around in the cars, then we discuss it all again in pit lane, then we then go to the grid, by that stage, it was too late. So when we got on the grid and it was started to rain heavy again, um, it was it was very very borderline, very touch and going. I would have raced. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I would have raced, but I can also appreciate why uh, certain riders said, "Oh, this is a bit 
sketchy. Um, the only way to control that, like you say, is just, in my opinion, perhaps take it out of the rider's hands. Um, how, how do you how do you please it? I don't know, really. I, I, that's where I, I like just riding the bike. A lot of people criticise uh, series directors, Stuart Higgs, or they criticise uh, World Superbikes, but unless you're the one sat there making the calls, you, you don't you also don't realise the pressure um, there is to be that person. So I think World Superbike's done a very professional and good job the way they've done it. And um, yeah, it was like I say, it was just a shame for the Italian fans, really. Yeah, I was thinking the same because everybody was getting soaked, weren't they? But I think even they could understand in that situation, you know, it is motorcycle racing. Imola, we know, is one of the more dangerous circuits. I think the fans understood, actually, didn't they? As disappointed as they were, they understood why that race was cancelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because to be fair to Alvaro and, and the other guys, if it was Jerez, for example, it would have been a no-brainer. You could have raced it, no problem. Um, the problem wasn't also just the fact that the barriers are a bit closer and so on and so on. But when you're on a lot narrower, tighter track, um, you get a lot more spray. And, yeah, it, it, it ultimately, for Johnny, Bautista, Chad and them guys, it wouldn't have been a disaster. For, for your mid-pack um, backwards, it would have been like, and for me, starting from where I was, to try and come up through the pack would have been hard. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I feel, I don't want to criticise Imola because it will be, in my opinion, a disaster if World Superbike even consider taking that place off of the calendar, because it is unbelievable circuit. It is, oh, I love Alton Park because it is one hell of a rider circuit, and Imola is Alton Park on steroids. It is phenomenal to ride. Well, I have to say I agree with you because I think this is one of the things that's good about World Superbikes. We go to places like Imola, we go to Laguna Seca, it's places that MotoGP doesn't go to anymore, Formula One doesn't go to Imola anymore, and if we lost them from the calendar, it would be a, a big loss, wouldn't it? And yes, it's unfortunate they couldn't run in the wet, but... Let's be honest, the last time that happened was 15 years ago. You don't normally have rain like that at Imola in May. Sometimes Mother Nature just takes control, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly that. You know, well, let, let's take Silverstone off the calendar for every, um, for every sort of race as such, you know. It, it, it's a hard one to police, really. And like you say, how do you, how do you sort of police it? You can't. And... You need circuits with the character like Imola in, in places like that. You, you know what I mean? It, it, it makes it it makes it what it is. So yeah, um, hopefully they 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 don't even think about it. But um, yeah, because I want to I want to go back next year, even if it was just on a wild card. I, I just uh, I just enjoy riding that circuit. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's obviously just unfortunate for World Superbikes at the moment that we've ended up having two rounds with cancelled races. But I do feel it is just um, a big coincidence, really. We got snow at Assen and rain in Italy. But just going back to you, Tommy, then, naturally, people were saying going into that Saturday, why on earth is Tommy Bridewell risking his BSB championship lead coming to Imola? We remember what happened to Jason Halloran when he got hurt last year. What was your opinion? Are you bothered about people saying things like that? You know, what's he doing it for? Why is he taking the risk? No, ultimately, within that conversation, there's two people that matter. That's my my uh, opinion on it, and my team boss's opinion, Steve 
uh, more from um, obviously Octa Product, Motor Rapido, Ducati, get it all in. Um, they're, 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 them two people, it's down to me to go, Tom, am I being stupid by risking it? And Wilf going, yes or no, um, let's have the gamble or such. We, we got a little bit of criticism, and I, and I totally understand that because I've been in BSB a, a fair while, and um, this looks to be my strongest year coming. Uh, so I, I get why people and fans would criticise, but in the flip side, that you have to look at it. This is a brand spanking new V4. We've had minimal uh, development time over uh, our competitors. Not not over them, but you know, they're in the same position as us, let's say PBM in, in the UK. So why wouldn't I go out to Imola um, with my crew chief and team owner from the UK and get more data, more information on this, exactly the same bike I'm riding in the UK, bar the electronics, but the chassis, the tire life, they, they, honestly, the, the, the data we took out of it was so much more valuable than you could ever imagine. Um, and ultimately, the conversation me and Will had beforehand was, look, let's find our feet. Let's not do anything stupid. Um, let's not risk too much. And in the first race, uh, I didn't. And in the second race, I just rode to more of my potential of what I could have. And that's where, again, it was a shame that we didn't get the third race because if we'd got the third race, we'd have been even faster. And like I say, the information we took away from it was was worth the risk, for definite. Well, that's really good to hear, actually. So you'd say that's definitely worth the risk despite the suspension being different, the ECU is different, which is obviously the electronics for people who might be new to bike racing. Despite some of the thing, the elements being different, you're still learning a hell of a lot which you can then take back to BSB. Yeah, because like you said there, electronic-wise, yeah, discount that. Nothing, nothing com- compares. Right. Um, the, the electronics on that World Superbike is, is Grand Prix kind of spec. Um, Suspension-wise, everything calculates over... that. They run Pachubo, um, we run Olin's. Uh, everything, everything calculates in numbers to... to yeah, get the information. But um, yeah, uh, it was, it, I get, like I say, it, it was, I get why people would sort of think, oh, that's a bit dangerous, but we just had to do what we had to do. And now when my competitors were sat at home watching or, or out on their push bikes or doing whatever they were doing, I was, I was out racing and there is no, there's no substitute for racing a motorbike. You can go testing, you can go track days, you can do whatever. But when I line up on the grid in Imola, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was, you know, really in full attack mode. Where on a track there on a test, you can you can well I can ride at that same same mentality. Hence why a lot of the time I do struggle in England in FP1 and FP2 and even FP3 because for me I struggle to work out uh, the benefit um, of pushing to such a level of crashing when I only need to do that in qualifying and then in the two races. But it's, it's, each, it's each rider's mentality is so different. Uh, it's just the way I've always been. And one thing I always find on the TV, Tommy, to get across to people, that can be difficult, especially, and it's tricky enough for all of us involved as we are, you know, week in, week out, we're at circuits, we're talking to each other, writing articles, commentating, whatever. But for people watching at home, they are so different, aren't they? Yes, they look the same. They look like bikes on a circuit, which is what they are. But BSB, compared with World Superbikes, 
obviously the level is different to some extent the circuits are different and it just shows doesn't it because we've often had riders going from bsb to world superbikes who struggle but the same going the other way there's riders going back from the world championship to the british championship and struggling to make an impression they are so different aren't they yeah and i've got to be honest i wish and this is honest truth i wish bsb and world superbike were closer together because the, the days of when Steve Islock could turn up at Brands Hatch, do a wild card in win a race or, or, you know, that kind of thing, you go to certain circuits and you could wild card. I just wish that we could still do that because I 100%, 100%, if the rules were closer to make uh, my BSB bike more competitive in World Superbike, I would be twisting my team's arm in England to say, come on, come on, let's do more, let's do more, let's do more wildcards. Um, and I, I almost stress that to Dorna and the MSVR, like, you know, just get on and make it happen because the, the, the racing in World Superbike would be better and it would give, even if, I know it sounds stupid, but even if a World Superbike team wanted to then come and do a wildcard in, in British Superbike, let's say, Aston, for example, or whatever, um, you've got that. You've got that option where they won't. They couldn't come and do a wild card with us because of their spec of their bike. And vice versa. Yes, we can go there to World Superbike, but we can realistically we can't be competitive because, the, like you said, the, the the bikes look the same, but the fact that in Imola, uh, in the middle of the hairpin in second gear, I was a hundred percent throttle on that World Superbike. If I'd done that on my BSB bike, I'd be over the arm coat, 100%. You'd, you'd, yeah. you'd be trashing. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think, Tommy, in your opinion, it's an interesting conversation, isn't it? And everybody's got a different opinion. There's not really a right or a wrong. They're just opinions, I suppose. But do you think there is um, a train of thought that the motorcycle industry could work even closer together? Because it's a relatively small industry, you know, when you look at it compared with the rest of the world. Are there people living in a bit of a bubble in certain places in our industry who could actually see the bigger picture and, and work better together to make the whole thing a bit better? Not that it's not good how it is, but do you know what I mean? To just improve further? Yeah, I, 100%. Because the bottom line is, is what makes World Superbike World Superbike is that the fact that they race around the world. They race still production uh, bikes, mm. the same as us, where we're class British Superbikes because we predominantly race in Britain. Um I cannot get my head around why we can't work closer together. And yeah, 100%, like you said, the industry is a small, like you say, close-knit kind of thing. Grand Prix, I guess you could always look at, oh, there has to be a stepping stone to Grand Prix and going from a BSB, let's say BSB and World Superbike, similar spec bike, then you get the opportunity to maybe go to Grand Prix. There would be a, a big jump. But uh, I don't know. It, it, I suppose you could, there's conversation and arguments for every every sort of thought process on that. But yeah, in my opinion, um, as the leader of the rider liaison, <laughs> no, as, uh, as just as a rider, and, and I would imagine a lot of riders would agree with me. Surprisingly, they don't on a lot of things, um, but I think a lot of riders would say say the same. To be honest. I was just going to say that because you've led me nicely onto what I was about to say there. Does it need some sort of rider liaison, a stronger representation? Because I remember having a chat with Marco Melandri at the Jerez test before the World Superbike season this January this year. 
And he was saying, you know, you often hear riders complaining of rule changes, the three race format in World Superbikes, this is technical changes. But he said the problem is when it actually comes to the crunch, nobody's got the guts to actually go and complain. Anyway, he said the only guy who sticks up for it is Jonathan Ray and, and himself, Malandru. So does it need to take some sort of rider movement when the riders all get together and agree on something for the good of the sport? A hundred percent. One hundred. I often sit there and think, I, I got to be honest, I am, I'm not the kind of rider where I think, look, I'll do whatever. If we want to go and race, we're race. If we don't, we don't. Mm. My, in my one opinion, me voting on politics to stay in Brexit or, or out of Brexit ain't going to make that much odds whether I vote or don't vote. It is such. I know you can't have that mentality because if everyone had that mentality, nothing would get done. But all I want to do is race a motorbike. Um, but I quite often do sit there and think, I wish we as riders of BSB did have um, like a, a pack as such where basically let's say we're all at Imada and uh, the organisation to a man and go, uh, yeah, we're going to race no matter what. It could be 10 foot underwater, but we are going to race. Then all of the riders get together and go, right, let's be sensible about this. Who wants to race and who doesn't? Can we yes or no? Um, and then you, you, you make a decision from that. But the, and, and, and I won't go too much into it because I don't want to get myself in too much, not trouble, right? Yeah, but, um, yeah sure. The, the problem is, is some riders maybe won't be able to have an opinion um, because perhaps they get some incentive from, from areas. So, yeah, maybe that's the problem. Like, you know, I don't know. And me, as, a, as, as me... I would 100% have my own opinion. And a lot of other riders do, but perhaps they can't go against uh, certain organisations. I, I don't know. Just got a, one more thing on this, Tom, and then obviously we'll move on to Donington BSB for this weekend because you are leading the championship after all. But just quickly going back to that Imola situation and any other situation like that which may occur in the future, and there will be more in the future because the law of averages says there will be based on history, Um should there not be perhaps some sort of unanimous vote where the riders can all say, I'm either racing or I'm not? They, put their, they, they sign a form like an election sort of thing, like a ballot, and, and you don't know who said what, and then the majority comes out and you either race or you don't race. Would that not be a fair way to do it? Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah 100%. There would be nothing against, um, there would be nothing against that for, for sure. But uh, I don't know. It, it, very very hard there's so much behind the scenes of just yeah like you say doing it like that um there's certain manufacturers that want to race there's certain manufacturers that don't certain teams that do or don't riders that do and don't so on and so on so yeah i think to be honest i don't think there's it's that bad to get like you say um uh like a, a rider pack or whatever they call it um and, and do it that way. The organisation sit down and have their thoughts. The riders sit down and have their thoughts. But again, it then comes back to there was a very small win window at Imola to run that race where people were talking too, too much about it instead of getting on with it. And that would probably just prolong it even more, I guess. Yeah, it did seem like the way. I mean, I think, to be fair to Gregorio Lavia, and I was listening in to the world feed and what was being said in that meeting in the pit lane, he was just trying to give the riders an opportunity, I think, wasn't he, to air their opinions. And they're the guys going out there. You are the guys going out there. I suppose you could argue, though, maybe they could have been a bit more proactive 
like we saw in BSB at Donington last year and move the schedule around beforehand, knowing that it was very likely the weather was going to close in. But I guess let's just hope everyone learns from the experience and um, avoid, avoids a big delay like that again. Yeah, no, exactly that, exactly that. They, like you said, I can remember, might have even been last year at BSB where round one, it was going to be horrific weather on the, um, on the race day. So we actually raced, I think, uh, on the Saturday because ultimately you could, if, if let's say it turned around and the weather was lovely on the Sunday, oh, well, you know, it's one of them. At least we got a race in. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, like you say, it's, it's a tricky one, really. Yeah, you can't please everyone, I suppose, and there's plenty of stuff behind the scenes, commercial obligations and who knows what else, but I guess safety has to come first. All right, well, it's intriguing stuff. There's a lot of opinions. What about Donington this weekend, then? Because we're on the national circuit, aren't we? And it's a triple header, three BSB races, so there's a lot of points up for grabs, 75 points, uh, very, what's that, 15 podium credits. This is a pretty big weekend for the season this year. Yeah, 100%. Um... And, yeah, like you say, really, it's on the national circuit, which is interesting, really, because I can't ever recall, um, and you know a lot more than me, but I can't ever recall World Superbike BSB or, or anything on the national circuit. So I think I think it'd be interesting. I, I think roughly the last time we work out about a minute, one minute, 10-ish seconds, one minute, 8-ish, I would think, perhaps something like that. Um, so it's going to be that little bit shorter, intense, 26 lap races, three races, one one on Saturday. Um, I think it's going to be a good, a very good weekend, definitely for spectating and viewing. And yeah, as always, the races in BSB, I think it'd be it'd be interesting. It'd be very interesting because I've got to be honest, I'm still struggling to find uh, to to work out a consistent competitors, if you like. I know it sounds stupid to say, but like, round one, you've got certain riders that are fast, and then round two, they're not. Um, so at the minute, I think the championship's just settling in, the riders are settling in, uh, and then hopefully after Donington, we'll get a better idea who's going to consistently be, you know, there to, to try and um, beat me. <laughs> I, I think you're right, though, because I think BSB, probably more than any other motorcycle championship, the circuits are so varied, aren't they? You've got Silverstone, which is flat and, and short. You've got Thruxton, where you've got all the tyre problems on the right-hand side. Knock Hill. I mean, it's every circuit lends itself to different riders and different bikes, which I guess is why we do get so much variety in the results. 100%. And I can remember years and years and years ago, Troy Bayless saying to my brother Ollie that you want to be a champion you have to be able to ride fast in every circuit in every weather condition then you can't you can't turn around and go oh it's it's wet oh no i'm no good in the wet and i'll come last because take me silverstone is not the strongest circuit for me but i was strong at silverstone um we were strong at Alton park we were strong at Alton park in the wet uh we were strong at Alton park in the dry no matter what the conditions we were strong um and i expect fully expect to be strong at Donington because if I want to fight for the championship this year, we we have to be. And luckily for me, I've got a team behind me that will will allow me to be uh, fast at Donington. So yeah, it's it's just I don't know, it's just a little bit tricky with this showdown scenario that you do see for the past few years, riders that keep their nose clean for the first nine rounds, whether it's them coming eight, nine, ten, sometimes they're still scraping to the showdown. Um, and that's a little bit frustrating because 
it kind of puts a, a, a different pressure on people like me or Josh Brooks or whoever that it, as much as we can go out and win races, we also do have to, in the back of our mind, think about, uh, you know, points and accumulating points and points and points, whether that means me going to Alton Park going, I could have maybe fought a little bit harder for the win, but I needed the 20 points. I don't know. I don't know if it affects the racing or not. I, I doubt it, but just as me as a rider also appreciates that the way the championship is, um, it's a long season, but in the same degree, nine rounds, believe it or not, feels quite short. Uh, and you can quite easily get to round five or six and go, no, we're, we're out we're out of it. We're not going to gain back what we need. Or you can get to round five or six and go, right, we're 95% secure. Let's Let's go all in now because if we DNF, it's not a disaster. But if we get that extra five points, it's going to help us. So, yeah, I think that's where this weekend to be uh, be interesting because I fully expect to go to win, um, and that's the goal. And you know, we just have to see what what the riders can do. And what do you make of the Ducati V4R so far and BSB trim? Because that seems to have been the most difficult challenge for Ducati at all so far. Not the Italian Championship, not the World Championship or anywhere else, but the British Championship and adapting it to the BSB rules. Revs have been turned down. There's no electronic aids. That seems to have been the biggest challenge for Ducati so far with this bike. Yeah, exactly. To be fair to, to any manufacturer, it always would be because... The, 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 the bikes are developed with such a high level of electronics, even as a road bike. When you then take it off and put Motec on, um, as much as Motec's a great system, it, it, it gives you a lot more work to do. So we are still understanding that. We're still understanding engine braking, throttle translation tables, um, all this sort of stuff. We're getting new firmware updates from Motec to, to then start again like you know we we went testing and we had a certain engine brake strategy then motec three days later said right we've actually got an improvement a new engine brake strategy and now we can run it off you know the four the four banks so there's so much with that um but my opinion on the v4 is i am glad and, and i've said this before but i'm very very glad that there's not a huge amount of them in bsb because i can deal with concentrating on Josh and uh, Scott because um, they're, they're, they're on the same bike in, in, in Alton Park part of the reason where I struggled to beat Josh is because his bike had the same strength as my bike um, so there was one or two corners at Alton where I was faster than Josh but that was just down to me as a rider and vice versa there was a couple of corners Josh was stronger than me as far as the bikes go there was nothing there was I nothing to split them apart um, and I think this, I think unfortunately and I and I some people or riders might criticise me for saying it but I don't really care I think unfortunately for the other riders on the other manufacturers it's only going to get harder for them to beat up in my opinion well I'll credit to you for speaking your mind as far as I'm concerned I think it's great to hear it's really refreshing to hear a rider saying exactly what he thinks on the flip side though Tommy do you reckon because obviously Josh was up there winning. You weren't that far behind at all, second comfortably. Scott Redding was still inside the top five, even though he had to learn Alton Park, which is the most difficult of all of them. Is there going to be an argument soon where if the three of you are up there, 
the other manufacturers are going to be saying, oh, hang on a second, this is ridiculous. We need to slow these bikes down. And might we even get into that situation where the organisers have to switch them, turn them down? I don't know. It's, um, I guess it all depends because the bottom line is, is in race one, and this is actually this is actually a true fact. This in race one, uh, I in 2015 on a BMW yeah. was able to still race a very very low 35.1 to 35.4 the whole race. That would have still put me very competitive this year, just gone. So. Hmm. Me and Josh were only lapping low 35s in the first race. Immediately in the second race, that the, the pace that was set by Josh and me in the second race was the fastest pace there's probably ever been in BSB at Oldham Park with the with the rules the way they are. Because we were lapping, and I actually wasn't 100% sure whether my lap time was right or not. We were lapping mid-high-ish 34s for a lot of the race. Um, and if you, you ask any rider to do 34s in qualifying is quite good, for one lap is quite good, let alone the whole race. But um, I don't know, there's, there's bound to be certain teams that are going to try and get the Ducati docked. Um, but in the same degree, they've got to have a good enough argument to, to try and enforce, enforce that upon us. We've already, you've got to bear in mind, we should be able to rev our bike to 16,750 RPM. Before we even turned a wheel, we were docked the 750 RPM. So we've already been penalised and we had to turn a wheel. So how do they now penalise us by saying, right, you, you've got to take even more RPM out or you've got to only run one front brake caliper? Or, I, don't know, do I mean, just talking a bit stupidly. It's, they can only take a certain amount of RPM away from us. And if I'm honest, RPM is down to speed, speed of the bike. Speed of the bike in a straight line against the build-based Suzuki, I cannot overtake the build-based Suzuki in a straight line. So, I don't know. It's, it's got to be down to the chassis, um, or that the argument will be is if it's down to the, the, the wings. But it ends, it ends down to the wings. Yes, they help. Yes, they are there for a reason. Um, but they're homologated. That's what the road bike comes with, and we cannot take them off. They're not an unfoldable object, so too bad. They've just got to get over it, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, well, it's clever thinking by Ducati as well, isn't it? But that's true, isn't it? Because people say, you know, even the Honda could threaten at points because you don't necessarily need that top speed in BSP like you do in places like World Superbikes where you've got Thailand, Aragon, places with these long straights. BSP circuits, generally speaking aren't like that, are they? They're tight, they're twisty, they're narrow, most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. 100%, and I don't want to go on about it too much, but in, in England, or in, in any manufacturer, they always turn around and say, right, we got to penalise you, RPM. They never turn around and go, well, that bike handles too well, that bike turns too fast, and that bike is absolutely on rails, because that's what my bike is. Mm. That B4R is on rails. So what do they turn around and say, right, your bike handles too good, so you've got to drill drill holes in the frames to make it flexible so it doesn't handle as good. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't know how you police it. Um, we are running uh, an absolutely bog stock chassis. Um, the swinging arms modified to allow us uh, wheel length and so on. But you you have to have that. There's nothing on my bike that a, a customer couldn't buy uh, off the shelf sort of thing. So. 
yeah, it, it's one of them. And if you look at other manufacturers, we could argue and say, right, well, you know, they've got a, an advantage over us, but we, we don't. We just get on with it and we just beat them. So, yeah, I'd say I'm probably a lot more outspoken hmm. than sometimes I should be. But as a rider, I also, it doesn't worry me because that's where sometimes in the sport it frustrates me because riders should, I don't know, like, uh, just talk a bit more what they're thinking. I, I guess, I don't know, it puts a certain amount of pressure on or, you know, me, me now saying for other manufacturers I wouldn't want to be uh, another rider to try and beat me. I guess it puts a target on my back. But, hey, too bad, isn't it? That, so I, I, just have to, I just have to respond and still try and beat them. Ah, to be fair, it sounds like a lot of common sense. It's, it's the nature of the beast, isn't it? There's only ever going to be one winner at the end of the day, so everyone else is yeah. going to be unhappy, aren't they? Exactly that, yeah. So it's just the way it is. In, in, in a rider, I will, would ne- I rode one bike, and I'm not going to name it. It's quite obvious in the past couple of years. But no matter what I've done with that bike, I just as well stayed at home because it was impossible to make a result. Where every other manufacturer I rode, I've never got on a bike um, and thought, ah, oh, right, I'm going to struggle here. I've always got on it and go, right, you, you find the you find the positives of that bike. So if I was riding a different manufacturer, I wouldn't go, oh, I can't beat the Ducati because it's, it's just too good. I would go, right, the Ducati's good there and there and there, but I think my bike turns a bit better or stops a bit better or does something a bit better um, and really work on them positives to get it even better yeah. so you can't you just can't take a negative a negative approach to anything can you no exactly well for what it's worth i think it's great to listen to what you say because it does sound most of all i mean and what do i know but it sounds like a lot of common sense thinking to be honest so thank you yeah no that's fine like say, I, I i do jabber on a lot i like talking about motorbikes but um yeah, no, it's, uh, it's all right. Well, Tommy, thanks very much for joining us. Um, oh, by the way, I should ask, are we going to be, be expecting more of you in World Superbikes in Jerez or focus on BSB for now? Yeah, um, that, that's the goal, for definite. So I I think hopefully we'll be in Jerez. Again, going back to me saying about, you know, more development and more time on a V4. Um, so, yeah, it, that, that is definitely the plan. And... You know, I was in Le Mans the weekend for Grand Prix with Ducati, and uh, it was just nice that Paolo, Gigi, um, Taudotti, you know, top, top guys in Ducati all could turn up and say, look, we really appreciate your work and thank you for your help uh, in Imola. So it's just nice as a rider to, to sort of to feel that warmth from a manufacturer that they appreciate, you know, what you're doing for them. Um, so yeah, I'd like to try and continue that. That's something that always strikes me, actually, just to finish that off. People like Gigi Delinia at Ducati, they always seem very keen, uh, and in fact, more than very keen, almost desperate to get involved on, on the shop floor and be very much part of the team, don't they? They're not the kind of bosses who just stand around watching. They are very much involved. Yeah, 100%. And do you know what? In the morning, on Saturday, uh, we, uh, Regis, can you remember Regis Laconi? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we, I was having, I had lunch with uh, Laconi and he was, he was a great rider, great, great rider. Um, and it's like he said to me, I was, we were just chatting about bikes and so on for hours. Um, and he said to me, he said, he's never ever worked with any manufacturer like Ducati purely for the fact is when he joined Ducati, 
people like Paolo, and he, and Paolo was out with us. People like he said, people like Paolo become like his his second dad kind of thing. Um, he said the welcoming they had, and I think again that that does what you just said goes down to the passion that um, Gigi has about developing. He's on the shop floor. They're working with designers. They're working with all these guys to make any minuscule advantage to beat other manufacturers. Uh, it's, it's, it's very encouraging as a rider knowing that, let's say, all right, I'm not a Grand Prix bike, but my V4, they've not just cobbled that together. You know that Ducati have been sat behind the drawing board, sat behind whatever they do to know that when that bike rolled out, it was going to be as good as it is. Um, you know, they can't afford to not. So, yeah, as a rider, there's there's no excuse, really. It's, it's just get on and, and make the results. Yeah, that's, isn't that amazing, though, what some of these people can do and the dedication and the effort and the skill that goes into it? It's incredible. We're lucky to get to know these people, I guess. But, Tommy, thank you very much. Yeah, no worries, Greg, any time. So, 30-year-old Tommy Bridewell there never hides his opinion, does he? But I think it's fair to say that in an age of PR-controlled mayhem, as it often is, it's nice to hear somebody actually saying what he thinks in motor racing. So, all credit to Tommy for that, and congratulations again for his Imola performance. Good luck for Donington Park this weekend. We will have, incidentally, times coming up at the end of this podcast as to when you can tune in to the action on Eurosport, on Quest TV, and on the Eurosport player this weekend. But of course, unfortunately, although Tommy Bridewell had that fantastic opportunity to ride at Imola, and it sounds like he's going to be riding at Jerez soon as well for the Spanish round of World Superbikes, we've got one man out of action, and that's Eugene Laverty, the regular Go 11 Ducati rider of this year, after, as we said at the top of the show, the crash he had in Friday practice. I spoke with Eugene via WhatsApp earlier on, and we just put a few questions to him as to what actually happened and when he hopes to be back. Eugene, first of all, thanks for joining us. Not the best of circumstances, of course, with you on the sidelines at the moment. But if we could just rewind to that Friday morning back at Imola almost two weeks ago now. First of all, what actually happened? What can you remember of the incident? What caused it? Hey, Greg. Yeah, it was a difficult start to the session. When I left the pits at the first chicane, the, the bike immediately shut down, so I had to do a quick little reset and uh, just cruise around to the pits. And we checked things over, and they, they knew there was some issue with the uh, with traction control and tried to do, uh, uh, let's say, a quick reset of things, and I went out again. And same problem happened uh, a second time, so I uh, switched the TC off and just tried to to get a lap in uh, at least to to see um what gearing would be like and a uh, engine braking and a few other things but yeah i quickly realized uh, it was a bit more than uh, just tc being off everything was uh, up the left the bike wasn't wasn't functioning quite right so unfortunately when i equ- exited from aquaman rally 2 um the the thing spat me off um just gave it the same gas as the lap before but um i was quite upright on the exit and the rear came round on me and fired me off so at first i didn't think it was going to be a big crash until i realized i was hanging in the air for an awfully long time and came down with a big thud so i knew right away that i'd seriously damaged my my two wrists because it was so early in the session there wasn't really much adrenaline flowing and i felt the pain immediately so not the way um wanted to start the weekend in imola one that i had high hopes for no oh, but it's painful actually 
just to listen to, let alone actually experience. But what's it like when you are flying through the air like that and then you're coming down heavily on both wrists? You know you're hurt. Are you thinking, oh, damn, I've hurt myself? Are you thinking that's the race weekend out? Are you thinking I'm in the middle of the racetrack here? This is dangerous. You know, what's the first sort of thought that actually goes through your mind in a situation like that? Honestly, the first thought for me was just... um... The pain in the two wrists because I'd done something similar before at the end of 2015 when I'd uh, broken my left wrist so it was a identical style fracture again in both wrists a Cole's fracture so it's both of them were displaced and looked like very anti-alta and very anti-bassa um, like an S through your wrist so uh, I knew I was going to have to have those uh, relocated and sure enough that afternoon uh, that's what was ahead of me um, three nice Italian nurses they uh, just <laughs> grabbed my, my wrist and uh, they had to bend it back into place. And it's bad enough having one of them done, but then once they'd put it back in, then having to brace myself for the second one. So anybody that's had um, dislocated bones put back into place knows it's it's not nice. So having to have both of them done is just, uh, it's horrendous. And not, not something I'd wish upon anybody, but hey, uh, what's done is done. And uh, the good thing is that the... Surgery was a success on uh, on the both wrists as well, so um, they're going to make a full recovery, and that's the most important thing. Ouch. Don't like the sound of that. Definitely not. Um, in terms of a comeback then, we've just had Tommy Bridewell on the podcast, which you wouldn't have heard yet, but he was saying it looks likely that he's probably going to do Hereth as well. We know you're hoping to be back for the following round at Mizano in Italy, the Riviera di Rimini round. Do you think it's realistic? How long do you reckon you need? I mean, I've heard people saying maybe eight, nine weeks for an injury like this, but riders so often seem to defy reality and, and come back a lot sooner and successfully. So Mizano is definitely the target, it seems. Yeah, I'm aiming for Mizano. Difficult to, to say what's realistic. Uh, I learned that uh, last year with my book and pelvis. I'd aimed for Donington as my comeback, and yeah, I was more than ready for Imola um, a few weeks prior. So... That's why I've, instead of saying Donington this time, I've said, okay, let's, let's aim for Mizano. And if I'm ready, I'll ride there. If not, I'll wait till Donington because as a motorbike racer, your wrists are kind of your money makers. So need to look after them. But um, like I said, I did an injury in my left wrist uh, some years ago. So I've got some experience with a, with a similar injury. It's just, it is true that the, the right wrist is a, a lot worse. So it's the one I'm going to have to be patient with and uh, just play that one by ear. But uh, I'm, I'm starting uh, my rehabilitation now with my, my physio that's always brought me back from injury. So, yeah, I'll see what the next few weeks bring and hopefully I'll know soon uh, if Mizano is realistic or not. Well, that's good, isn't it? That sounds promising. And hopefully from all of us, we're wishing you the best to be back as quickly as possible. So let's see whether it is Mizano. And if not... Of course, Donington and Laguna Seca are back-to-back, so that's going to be a busy time of the year for everybody. Away from the injuries, though, and obviously you're getting better every day, which is magnificent news. Away from that, how has the season been for you, for you so far? Because I think what's been quite difficult for some people to understand is why we've had one Ducati up there and the other's not. But I think it is important to get across to people that Chas Davis was very badly injured and affected over the pre-season. Michael Rubin and Audi is a rookie in the class, essentially, certainly to the non-European rounds. And then your team doesn't quite have the same sort of support as the Aruba team, does it? So, in my opinion, and you correct me if I'm wrong, we shouldn't expect you necessarily to be 
as regularly fighting for wins or podiums as Alvaro Bautista, should we? Is that fair to say? Like I'd said, after Philip Island and Thailand, they were two gift rounds for us, essentially, because we really shouldn't have been there. We weren't ready. We didn't have any spare parts. So and we were still testing at that stage. And then the big leap we made forward for Aragon, I didn't expect to make just as big a step forward to be there. Battling for podiums was incredible. So that gave me a lot of confidence for what lay ahead. Assam was a, a major disappointment because I went there thinking, okay, one of my strongest rounds in the calendar, I expected to be fighting for podiums. But all weekend, I had just absolutely no uh, rear grip. I could not get any grip in uh, those freezing cold temperatures. And for some reason, it affected uh, my bike more. I have a, a different rear swing arm, and uh, I think that may have contributed to that. So in Imola, finally, I got the upgraded swing arm, same as the, the factory team, and I was looking forward to that uh, good step forward in, in rear traction. And unfortunately, I only got two laps to, to try it, so I haven't really got a feeling for it yet. But yeah, now I think probably at this stage, I'm now getting to, towards a bike that is more similar to the factory bikes because I didn't have the same level of equipment to, to start the season. So I can't stress enough just how how strong we were at, at Aragon and how much of a surprise that was to me and the team and just a major boost to us. So I'm looking forward to, to getting back once I'm 100% back to, to fitness. I know this bike is going to allow me to fight for podiums week in, week out, and that's uh, that's going to help me through my recovery. So just to go a bit further into that, Eugene, what changed between Aragon and Assen? Because like you said, Aragon was absolutely fantastic. You almost were on the podium. Obviously, there was that unfortunate incident into the back straight, which we saw live on the telly. But you were up there fighting and that was a real turning point, wasn't it? And as you say, it was effectively in some ways your first proper round of the year anyway after the bonus rounds. And obviously Thailand, you got no proper running anyway because of the problem there. So Aragon's brilliant. What actually happened in Aston? Did the bike change or was it the conditions? Uh, was it just the swing arm or was it something more than that? And also leading on from that, although you were out of Imola, once that new swing arm was on and whatever the problem was, traction control related, was sorted, it must have been quite nice for you to be able to watch. I know you're watching us on Eurosport, weren't you? But it must have been nice to see what Tommy Bridewell did, even though he was new with the bike in World Superbike spec and with that team. It must be quite encouraging for you to see what he was able to do with it, knowing that you will be back sooner rather than later. Regarding Aston, unfortunately, they still haven't been able to quite put their finger on it. There hasn't been a definitive answer, but it was really just a simple case of, of track temperature. Um, the cooler it was, the slower I went, and it almost was like one degrees equated to one-tenth of a second lap time. So the morning session, nine o'clock, and then 11 o'clock, uh, be it Superpole or the Superpole race, and, and then uh, afterwards to the afternoon. Each session, I just got quicker and quicker. So we tried changing um, the setting of the bike, and we would look in the data, and the line just uh, mirrored the previous setting. Nothing was changing with the, the rear setting. It was just um, not digging in and not making the tyre work. So uh, the guys were all scratching their heads. It was um, quite confusion. But uh, yeah, hopefully we don't see those those temperatures again. We had sort of a little bit in Aragon in the morning sessions. I was a little bit slower than the other guys. I, I seemed to lose more pace. Same in uh, Aragon, the Super Pole race. I didn't really have the pace for the podium. Whereas I would say the other two races in the afternoon, uh, I did have the pace um, 
if it wasn't for the mechanical problems that I suffered as well. So yeah, it just seems to be whenever the track temperature is less than 10 degrees, uh, I can't get the rear tire to work. So hopefully I don't have to face that again until uh, something like MagniCore at the end of the year. And uh, like you said, watching uh, Tommy riding my bike as well in Imola, it was nice to see the progress he made. He had such uh, a little amount of time on the bike and uh, immediately it was fast so i know this bike is uh is such a, a joy to ride so i think if tommy gets a, another shot on a hereth he, he could surprise people and uh, make a jump forward yeah it was impressive stuff from tommy wasn't it but in the meantime that's obviously you usually hoping for the hottest possible summer then by the sounds of it for those hotter track temperatures i'm keen to know that watching from your hospital bed as you unfortunately were for imola what do you think of the world superbike spectacle and racing in general as a spectator, as a viewer watching at home, do you think the drama that you experience when you're out there racing comes across through the television? What do you actually think of it? Watching Saturday and Sunday, I really did enjoy it as a as a racing fan as much as a, a good Saturday was pre-surgery, so it was nice to distract me. But having Super Bowl in the morning at 11 o'clock and then followed just a few hours later by race one, it's a unique uh, something nice that that Superbike has, where you get uh, to watch them a few times a day, and then also um, the short sprint race on on Sunday is pretty cool, just to to see a different style of racing and the lap times that uh, Chaz and Johnny were putting in at the end of the race was was brilliant to see. Um, yeah, I think it was nice as well to see a different winner because nobody wants to see the same guy winning all the time. So seeing Johnny step it up and and take some race wins, that's um, only a good thing for World Superbike and something that we've needed after Alvaro's won the, the opening 11 races. So, yeah, let's see what the next uh, next few rounds bring. Sounds quite like the rest of us, really, then. You don't really want to see a dominated championship as a viewer from anyone. You just want open races and open title fight whenever possible. Just before we go, then, regarding the situation now with your recovery, not the best of subjects, but how does this actually affect your life? Because it must be pretty tough at the moment, not having two working hands, essentially. How are you actually getting by day to day? It's crap. It is. I think when you've got one wrist or one hand injury, it's fine. But when you wipe out both of them, you feel pretty useless. So I'm just thankful I've got my wife, Pippa, to, to look after me because I'm um, not able to do too much. So, yeah um well, not much more you can say i think you can imagine the things that you are able to do and the the things that you're not able to do so uh, i'm gonna have another week probably with the the stitches in and once i get the stitches out then i can start moving my, my wrist a little bit more i want to be careful right now to allow the the skin the flesh to, to heal and then um work towards my recovery but i've already started physio a few days ago to to keep the range of motion i'm not one of these people that like to to keep my, myself in plaster paris uh, i didn't have any plaster paris on it it taken off immediately and so i could just put on removable splints so that i can take them on and off for physiotherapy so things are going good so far but i'm looking forward to getting some sort of use back in my hands I do manage to eat my meals, but when I'm in a restaurant um, trying to meet, eat my meals and there's two-year-old kids eating <laughs> more proficiently than me, it is a little bit uh, ridiculous, but I uh, shouldn't be too much longer. Oh dear, just tell them you're a motorcycle rider, then you look like more of a hero, but I can only imagine how frustrated it must be. In the meantime then, final question, what are you actually going to be doing between now and your comeback, which is hopefully Mizano? Have you got much on, or is it literally just rehab and watching races 
I'm in Ireland right now, so my plan is to be here for the next few weeks, uh, working with my, my physio that's always looked after me, and my, my brother Jod as well, that, that takes care of me post-injury, so yeah, uh, that's the most important thing. It's not I'm not trying to push it on, I'm just um, making sure that I keep on top of, of the injury, because if you leave things just to heal by themselves, then uh, that's not really the way for a sports person, because then you have to try and get the strength back, get the movement. I'd rather try and uh, maintain that now. So hopefully then uh, in a few weeks time, I don't have as much work to do and no complications. Um, I'll probably fly back to Monaco in a few weeks time and then uh, get myself ready for Mizano all being well. But uh, like I said, I'll have to play it by year because I'm uh, trying to be optimistic and looking towards Mizano. But uh, if I'm not 100%, then I won't be riding because uh, risks are too important for a motorbike racer. Good to hear Eugene Leverty sounding positive there and hopefully back on track as soon as possible. Many thanks again to Eugene and to Tommy Bridewell for his interview earlier on in the show. Bennett's British Superbike Championship round three this weekend, of course, at Donington Park on the national circuit, as we said with Tommy earlier on in the show. Jot these times down. 11 a.m. on Saturday for qualifying. That's for Supersport and for Superbike. That's live on the Quest channel and the Eurosport player. Then back on air at half past three on Saturday afternoon for BSB Race 1 and the Supersport Sprint Race. That's on Quest again, Eurosport player again, and also this time on Eurosport 2. And then Sunday, we'll be going live from 1pm with all of the action, the second and third BSB races of the weekend and all of the support race action, all live on Quest and Eurosport player. And any race, as usual, that is not live in the actual programme will still be live on the Eurosport player and then reviewed in BSB Extra, the highlights programme next week. And across the course of the weekend, there will be features with Tommy Bridewell, with Bradley Ray and Hector Barbara. The full story coming up there on his debut in the British Superbike Championship. We'll be there this weekend. Hopefully you will be too. If not, we'll see you on Eurosport 2 and on Quest. Speak to you soon. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 